The scripture reading for today is going to come from Exodus 34. That's going to be on page 87 in the Black Pew Bible. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a merciful God and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the son on the children's and the children's children to the third and fourth generation and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped and he said if now i have found favor in your sight o lord please let the lord go in the midst of us for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for our inheritance and he said behold i am making a covenant before all your people i will do Marvels such as they have never been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are, sh- you are shall see the works of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the fast, the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you. And at that time appointed in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you come out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or you will, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborns of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three years. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything unleavened, or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God, You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets of the word of the covenant the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with the Lord. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron, and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. 
Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Well, we are excited that you are here this morning. Um, as Uncle Chris said, you were prayed for if you are here this morning, and we're glad that you are here. Um, before we get started, there's just a few things I want to mention. I believe we have two birthdays today, is that right? Chris, Matt, and Jamie, they're both 35 today. Happy birthday, guys. Make sure you tell them happy birthday. Jamie played the keyboard for us. We appreciate the worship team, all that they do, staying late on Wednesday nights. You may think your Wednesday night is late, but it's not as late as theirs because they stay and they practice and they get here early on Sunday mornings. You may think it's hard to get here at 9.30. We'll get here at 8.30. They practice. They spend a lot of time preparing so that we can worship on Sunday. We appreciate all that you do. There's one more thing that I want to point out. Uh, I hope Pastor Shane and Jenny are watching. They probably are. Uh, But several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Shane poked fun at our very own John Bartels uh, for his men's league basketball team about uh, him being able to get up and down the court. Well, I would just like to say this, that John Bartels led his team to a championship this past week. That's true. That's correct. Yeah. He led them to a victory. They won the championship. So congrats to you. All right, so if you are just now joining us, if you're visiting with us, um, if you're a first-time visitor, maybe only been to Beaver a few times, my name is Morgan. I work here at the church. Um, Pastor Shane, as Chris said, is out of town. They're in Rigby, Idaho, visiting a few of our partners, Scott and Jennifer Plath, so you'll be stuck with me today. Uh, But that's not always bad because we might get out a little bit early, or we probably will. Um, Again, if you're, you're visiting, I want to catch you up to speed with what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. And what we're doing recently is we've been walking through the book of Exodus. And so here we're in chapter 34. We've been walking through the the book of Exodus and studying how God has saved his chosen people Israel uh, from lots of different things. First, we see the people of Israel be saved and freed from slavery in the land of Egypt. And God chose a Hebrew, an Israelite, to lead his people out of Egypt. And that chosen leader His name was Moses. And through a series of plagues that God sent upon the Egyptians, the Israelites were set free from captivity. The people of God were set free, and they are headed to a very specific land. And you might ask, what land? Well, it was the land that was promised to their ancestor. Remember when God made a covenant with Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, he promised several things, right? Um, Reese, what's one of the things that uh, God promised to Abraham? Yeah, those, uh, he will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. In other words, I got your back, right? Uh, Sammy, what's another one? He would give them the promised land. The land that they are headed to, God promised that he would give that to Abraham, right? And there's two other ones. Um, what are the other ones? We got more? There's two more. Right, as many descendants as the stars in the sky, right? You're going to have a lot of descendants, okay? And then the last one was that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed, right? So those were the four things that were promised to Abraham, but one of those things was land. So they're on that way, they're on their way to that land that was promised to Abraham, right? A long time ago. Their ancestor was given this land by God, and so they're on their way to that land. On the way to this land, they come up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, and they're given instructions about the tabernacle, and they're also given instructions about the Ten Commandments. And as we've seen in recent weeks, uh, Moses, he goes up on top of Mount Sinai. He's given the law. God gives him the law. uh, It's written down on stone tablets. In chapter 32, Moses comes down from the top of Mount Sinai. He gets to the bottom where the people of Israel are, right? And they had already screwed up being led by uh, Moses' brother Aaron. They were worshiping a golden calf. And uh, Moses, uh, you can say that he didn't like that very much. He got very angry. And so Moses, he took the tablets that he had just uh, received, the tablets, um, and he threw them down and they broke. 
And so in chapter 33, the Lord tells Moses, he says, go, go to the land that was promised to Abraham. He said, I'll send an angel of the Lord with you. And Moses said, well, if you're not going to go, then I don't want to go. That's the right response. The Lord decides that he will go with them. Moses asked God to show him his glory, and the Lord wouldn't show Moses his face because man cannot see God's face and live. But he said, I'll show you a part of my glory. So he puts Moses in a cleft of the rock, um, and Moses saw the back of God as he passed by. And that is where we pick up today in chapter 34. Sammy read our text for us this morning. He did a great job, but we're going to walk through it together. We'll stop and and talk about it um, because I think that is uh, helpful as we are studying. So before we do anything else, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the text. Father, thank you for this morning that we have. Thank you for so many people that want to be here at church Thank you for the, the, the worship team, Lord, that, as I said, they just, they, they work, they practice, they stay late, they come early. Thank you for them and the preparation uh, that it takes for us to just have worship on Sunday mornings. Thank you for all the children's teachers, for all the Sunday school teachers that taught this morning, Lord. Thank you for them and the preparation that they put into uh, their message this morning. Father, thank you for the children's church teachers right now. What a great thing it is that, that every child in there will hear the gospel by the time that they leave today. Lord, I pray that you would just bless our service, that you would bless uh, this message, Father, that you would speak through me, that it would be absolutely everything from you and nothing from me, that it would all be truth. And that above all, you would be glorified through everything that is said up here today. Lord, we pray for those that don't know you that might be here right now, might be in here today. I pray that you would just soften their heart to the teaching of the word, to the message of the gospel. I pray that if they don't know you, that if they've never repented and trusted Christ's work on the cross as their own, that their heart would be softened and that they would do that today. Thank you for those that are watching. Pray that you would be with them as well, Father, and they would be able to enjoy the service even though they can't be here with us. Thank you for Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bible, Exodus 34. We're just going to walk through it, starting in verse 1, because where else would you start? Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Everybody needs a mulligan, right? Everybody needs a second chance, a do-over. Except this isn't really a second chance. This is more like a seventh or eighth chance or a ninth chance or a tenth chance for the people of Israel, right? They just can't seem to get it right. They can't seem to get it right. Does that sound familiar? You might ask, Why do they get a do-over? These people keep screwing up left and right. Well, chapter 33 actually tells us, after Moses asked God to show him his glory, uh, look in verse 19 of chapter 33. And he said, this is the Lord, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So you say, well, why did they get a second chance? A third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance? Well, because the Lord wanted them to give them one. That's why they got another chance. He'll be gracious to whom he will be gracious. He'll give mercy to whom he will show mercy. He wanted to give them a second chance, so he did. They get a do-over because the Lord wanted them to have them, wanted them to have one. So the Lord says, get two more stone tablets. Get two more stone tablets, because remember you broke the first one, right? Get two more stone tablets, and I'll write the law on them like I did the first ones, the ones that you broke. Remember, as we said, Moses went up on top of the mountain. He was given the law, the Ten Commandments. It was written on the stone tablets. He comes down after 40 days, 40 nights. He sees what Israel has done. They had gotten Aaron to make a, a golden calf, and they were worshiping it. Moses was so mad he threw down his tablets. He broke them. Since then, Moses has interceded for the people with God, 
And now the law still needs to be written down. So Moses is about to go back up for his second period of 40 days and 40 nights. And we'll see why that's important later. We may ask, why is it two stone tablets? Why is it two? Couldn't they all put it on one? I mean, I guess if he wanted to, yeah. But uh, there's uh, several different thoughts on this. I'm not 100% sure. The scripture doesn't explicitly say. Some think that there were two two tablets just to get all of the commandments on there. In other words, five on one, five on the other. Um, Some say uh, that there were two full copies of the law, one for the nation to keep and one to go in the Ark of the Covenant. And that's probably where I would fall. So let's pick up in verse 2. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. Verse 3, no one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. Moses, be ready by the morning. Come to the top of the mountain. Don't let anybody or anything else up on that mountain. You do not want to be there. Don't even let the herds graze opposite that mountain. Don't be on the mountain, right? Verse 4, so Moses cut two tablets of stone just like the first. And he rose early in the morning. He went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. So Moses, he did what was commanded of him. God told him what to do. Moses did it. He, he cuts two more tablets of stone. He went up on the mountain. And as we get to verse 5, there are four points that I want to bring to you today. Pastor Shane could have done it in three, but I'm not that good. I got four, um, and he's not here anyway, so we got to have four points. The first point is the reiteration of God's character. The reiteration of God's character. Remember, this is the second time that God is giving Moses the law to give to the people. And when God is giving Moses the law, what is he doing? He's revealing his character. He's showing them who he is. Do not murder. When God says do not murder, what does that reveal about his character? He hates murder, right? That's what it reveals. When God says do not commit adultery, what does that say about his character? He hates adultery. God's revealing his character to them once again. He's doing it again. He's reiterating to his people who he is so they can know him more deeply, more intimately, so they can know what he's like. But this is really what it's been like all along. He's been showing them who he is. When the Israelites are in Egypt, God is sending plagues on the Egyptians, right? He's sending plagues on the Egyptians, but the Israelites aren't being affected by this. What is God doing? He's showing them who he is. He's revealing his character. When they're on the way to the promised land, they're in the wilderness, the desert, and they complain. They say, we don't have anything to eat. We don't have anything to drink. The God, the God uh, of the Bible gives them manna from heaven and quail and water from a rock. What's God doing? He's revealing his character. He's showing them who he is again. And when Moses comes down from the mountain and they're worshiping a golden calf and God's anger burns hot against them, what does that reveal about his character? That he is the only one that is to be worshiped. He's just showing them who he is once again. He's revealing his character. He's doing it again. Verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So who proclaimed the name of the Lord? The Lord did. He proclaimed his own name. What does that say about his character? It says that he is worthy to be praised and he wants his name to be praised. He proclaimed his own name. He wants his name to be proclaimed. Verse 6, and we get to one of the most well-known passages in, in Scripture. Most of you probably know it. Some of you probably have it memorized. It's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. It's mentioned earlier in Exodus, but it is mentioned here again. Verse 6 and 7. 
The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Pastor Shane has talked about this before, but typically in your average home, you have one parent is justice and one parent is mercy, right? That's typically how it goes most of the time. You have one who is uh, a bit too prone to let it go, or maybe one who's a bit too prone to... Uh, cut it short, right? That's typically how it is in, in most households. One lets the kid get off easy, the other one thinks they need discipline. That's a very common occurrence, right? But it's not that way with God. Notice that with God, justice and mercy, they're always tied together. They're always mentioned together. God is not like our parents, who are sinful and do things wrong sometimes. He's not like our parents. He's never too harsh. He's never too merciful. He never lets too much go. He's never too just. Never too easy, nor too strict, nor too harsh, nor too Merciful, never too much justice, never too much mercy from God. He's revealing his character. He's showing them this is who I am. I am merciful and loving and gracious, but I'm just. He's revealing his character. And that's re- refreshing and encouraging as a believer that God is perfectly both perfectly balanced. We know, we know that he is perfect and and he is neither leaning one way too much or the other way. And that's comforting. That's refreshing. God's continuing to reveal his character to his people. He's been showing his people who he is, right? Remember, they weren't reading about God. They didn't have the Bible. How did they know God? He showed them, right? That's how they knew God. They didn't have the Bible like us and we can read about him. No, they know God from what they see. And God's doing all these miraculous acts. Why? To show them who he is. This is who I am. I am gracious and I am merciful, but I'm just. Notice he goes grace and mercy first. And I'm gracious, I'm merciful but who will by no means clear the guilty. I'm gracious, I'm merciful, but don't think you can just get away with stuff, right? He's showing them who he is. And he's about to say things about himself that we can't really say about any other person, right? He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding overflowing with steadfast love and faithfulness. He's got so much of it, right? Abounding in it. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. But he will by no means clear the guilty. This is who I am, Israel. That's what God's saying here. This is who I am. He is all these things. He is overflowing with love and faithfulness. He's slow to anger. He forgives sin, but he will never clear the guilty. Justice, mercy. That's who God is. He's justice and he's mercy. He's both. He's holy and he's perfect and he's perfectly both. Verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Now that's the right response. That's what we should do, right? God is telling them who he is. God says, hey, this is who I am. Moses says, okay, and he worships him. That's the right response. 
That's what we should have. Drops down to his face and, and, and worships him. That's the correct response. He praised the Lord for his character, for who he is. What's the Lord doing here? He's revealing his character. He's revealed it before. He's doing it again. He wants his people to know him. He wants his people to know who he is. Second point that I think we have uh, from the text today is, is we see the renewal of the covenant. The renewal of the covenant. Verse 9, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, this is Moses talking, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Lord, please go with us. Please go with us. I know uh, they are a stiff-necked people, but please forgive our iniquity. Please go with us. Verse 10, and he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. I am making a covenant. This is what God is saying. I'm making a covenant and I'm about to do things that no one has ever seen before. And everybody... All the people among you will see my work because I am going to do an awesome thing with you, the people who need a fifth and sixth chance. And if I can do an awesome thing with you, it shows how awesome God is. Let's look at verses 11 through 16. Observe when I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Well, why would he have to drive people out? Well, they're headed to the promised land, right? And if you've got to drive people out, that must be where they are, right? So these people are in the, the promised land. They must be driven out in order for the people of Israel to be there, okay? God says, I will drive them out. Take care, verse 12, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break down their pillars and cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice." And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. So God's telling Moses, he's going to go with them into the promised land. He's going to drive out all the people that are occupying that land right now. But he's told them he's going to drive them out. Why? Because he doesn't want them to be led astray by the other people, right? I'm going to drive them out. I don't want you whoring after their gods right? I'm going to drive them out because you can't be there and not be led astray by them. They have their own gods, and the one true God doesn't want his people to be led astray by false ones, right? So, tear down their altars, break their pillars, cut down their asherim. That's like wooden poles, images, trees. They're basically idols, cut down their idols. But why does the Lord uh, want us to not be led astray, right? But why does he not want them to be there? Verse 12, I think God tells us in two different places. Verse 12 is one, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Why is that? Why would the Lord not want his people to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land? Well, like we said, he doesn't want them to be led astray, but there's another reason as well. Think about it. Why would God not want the people of Israel to make covenants with anybody else? Because their covenant is with God. 
don't make a covenant with anybody else. Your covenant is with me. No, Israel, do not make a covenant because your covenant is with me. I am your God. There is no other. You do not need anybody or anything else. You do not need to make a covenant with anybody other than me. Your covenant is with me. That's what God's saying. I am your God. I'm the covenant maker. I choose you. What else do you need? Your covenant's with me, right? Uh, Kayla and I will be getting married in like 20 days from now. Um, It's just three weeks, and then you don't have to hear me or her talk about it anymore. But I knew very soon that we were going to get married. I just just knew it very early on that we were going to get married. And so whenever I, I, I got her, I stopped looking for candidates, right? That's just how it goes. But, like, why is that? You can, it's fine. She's good. She's good. That's what happens, right? You find the one, and all of a sudden, you don't see candidates anymore, right? You're single. Your horizons are very broad. You see every potential candidate that there is breathing in a two-mile radius, right? But then once you find that one, all of a sudden, your horizons are very narrow. All of a sudden, you don't really see anybody anymore, right? Why do you not see anybody anymore? Because you found the one. You know whom your covenant is going to be with. You've already found that person. You're not looking. And you're not looking because you've already decided, okay, this covenant's going to be made. Why look? Why look for anything else? I got it. It's right here. That's what God's telling them to do. Why look around? Your covenant's with me. Your covenant's with me. Don't look around. There's no more candidates. It's me. My covenant is with you. That's what God's saying. God has made a covenant with Israel. I have chosen you, Israel. Your covenant's with me. It's not with the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, or the Jebusites. And Israel shouldn't want a covenant with anybody else, desire a covenant with anybody else, because their covenant is with God. They've already found the one whom their covenant is with, so quit looking. Don't look around. Don't whore after their false gods like they do. You got a covenant. It's with me. The Lord actually tells us why in verse 14, For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Don't be looking around, Israel. That's dangerous right there. Your covenant's with me, and I'm a jealous God. Don't be looking around. He is deserving of first place. He's deserving for Israel's eyes to only be on him. God renews his covenant with Israel here. A third point I think we get from today's text. Uh, We see the restatement of the commandments. This is not every commandment, but uh, it's mentioned before in Exodus. It's not every commandment. Not every commandment is listed here, uh, but several of them are, and God is restating them because they've already been said, right? Why does he have to restate them? Got new tablets, right? Let's read verse 17. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. I wonder why he gave them such a specific commandment right there. Why would he tell them that? Why would he say don't make a, 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 an idol of cast metal right after they just made a golden calf? He gives them a specific commandment. Okay, don't do that again. 
Okay, that's done. That's never going to happen again. Don't do that, right? So the second time around, God made sure to specifically state, do not do this. Do not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. Verse 18, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, it shall, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem and none shall appear before me empty handed. So this feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it began with the Passover meal and lasted one full week afterwards. So for seven days, the Israelites were forbidden to eat anything with yeast. Uh, This symbolized their separation from the spread of sin. Together with the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminded the Israelites what happened the night God delivered them from Egypt. They had to leave in such such a haste that bread did not have time to rise. So this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? They had to leave in in haste. Verse 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and harvest you shall rest. Now that's familiar. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Which one is that? These are great answers, um, but I would appreciate it. Fourth. It's the fourth one, right? Um, way you can remember that, you have four. Keep the Sabbath holy. It's easy, I'm telling you. You don't think it's helpful, but it is. Keep the Sabbath holy, right? He's restating that commandment. Verse 22, you shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel, for I will cast out nations before you and in larger borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So at the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of First Fruits, the first produce from the harvest was presented as an offering to God. So the, the first fruits of that, that, that season were presented as an offering. And then the Israelites counted off seven weeks from the Passover. That's why it's called the Feast of Weeks. At that time, they praised God for the land and for its abundant harvest. And then came the Feast of Ingathering, or or the Feast of Tabernacles. This this festival came at the end of the harvest when all the work was done and all the crops were safely gathered. The Israelites brought large offerings to God, and for one week they lived in makeshift homes. And this reminded them of the years that they spent in the wilderness when God provided their needs day by day. The pilgrim feast reminded God, uh, reminded God's people of the great facts of their salvation. The Feast of Unleavened Bread reminded them about how God rescued them from Egypt, bringing them out of the house of bondage. And then the other two festivals celebrated God's providential care from the past right up to the present. So all these feasts are to remember what God has done. All these feasts, the whole purpose of all these things, it's not just to... Uh, to, to, to do some ritual, but it's to remind them of what God has done for them. And keeping these, these feasts, it, it, it nourished their love for God. They gathered for worship, and as they worshiped, they were reminded in intangible, real ways of what God had done. But God appointed these covenant feasts to help his people stay in love by warming their hearts with gratitude. We're going to do this so you can remember what I've done for you. Verses 25 and 26. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. It seems like one of those things is not like the other, right? So these verses have to do with bringing the proper offering to the feast, right? Um, verse 25 says to not bring anything that is leavened, okay? That's to remember 
right? That they had to leave in haste where bread could not rise. So don't bring anything leavened, okay? That's another thing of remembrance. Verse 26 says, to bring an offering of the best of the first fruits of your harvest. Bring God the best that you have. I'm sure you're wondering about a certain part of verse 26. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Pastor Shane has talked about this before because this is somehow one of the ones that was restated. Um, But basically, this was most likely a a pagan fertility ritual. And so he's saying that because this was a common Canaanite practice at the time. And this is something they would most likely see, or he didn't want them to fall into that. He didn't want them to be like everybody else, right? Avoid this pagan ritual. God is most likely just forbidding a common practice of the day. But what is certain is that the first half of the verse, verse 26, told them to bring the best that they have. Whatever you got, the best that you have the best of your harvest, bring that for God. Verse 27 and 28, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate nor drank, ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets of the covenant the Ten Commandments. God told Moses to write this stuff down because I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And then Moses had to go back up for... uh, 40 days and 40 nights. So that's 80 days and 80 nights not eating bread nor drinking water. We're like, how did Moses live? He was just supernaturally sustained by God. Our last point from today's text, I'm going to try to finish. Uh, we see the result of being with God, verses 29 through uh, 35. So let's read that. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. This is pretty straightforward. Moses came down from Mount Sinai to give Israel God's law, as he had done um, before, and yet this was a, a remarkable transformation that had taken place. Although the prophet was unaware of it, Moses didn't know, he comes down from the mountain and he had turned some kind of glorious. His face was shining. He had been in the glorious presence of God. And we can only make sense of it that because he was in the glorious presence of God, uh, because of this, this, this sort of uh, uh, radiation, his face was glowing. Moses was illuminated. His skin was, was shining with a supernatural light. It was like the afterglow of God's glory. Moses had a, a halo of glory. Dazzling beams of light were shining from his face. What does that look like? I, I don't know, but it sounds amazing. Kind of scary, though, because it scared the people of Israel. There's a question that I'll pose that I think everybody here um, will, will have the answer to. Why was Moses' face shining? Because he had been with God, right? He had been in the presence of God. He had been with God before, but this is the first time he ever came back glowing, right? This is the first time he had seen his glory, and this was an after effect of that. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence. Whenever uh, Moses entered God's presence, whenever he went into the tent of meeting, he would speak to God and... Uh, Whenever he came out, he radiated God's glory. And it would dim over time, but every time he was in the presence of God, he would come out and he'd be shining. 
That was the result of being with God. Moses' face shined. Application. Uh, the, the first application point is going back to chapter 32. Moses got so mad, so angry that his people were committing idolatry and not worshiping the one true God correctly that he threw down the stone tablets and they broke. And you don't have to answer, but I just want you to think about this real quick. How many of us in here this week have become angry about something that means absolutely nothing to nobody anywhere? Probably a lot of us, right? <laughs> Miss Sylvia, you want to say? <laughs> yeah, all of us most likely, right? You know what made Moses mad? Idolatry. Worshiping something other than God? That made Moses mad. What makes us mad? What do you care about? Do the things that anger God anger you as well? If not, then it probably doesn't matter as much as you think it does. That's the first point. Be angry at the things that anger and offend God. The second one is that when Moses' face was glowing, what does that mean? It meant that he had been with God. In Acts uh, 4.13, Peter and John are standing uh, before the council after they had just been arrested for preaching and teaching the gospel. And Peter had just given this great speech about what the leaders had done to Jesus and how the only way to be saved is through Jesus. And then Luke records this in, in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So Moses' face was glowing. And by the way that Peter and John acted and spoke, it was clear it was obvious, man, they had been with Jesus. It was obvious Moses had been with God. Now, your face might not glow, no matter what kind of uh, skincare product you got. It might be pretty good. But it should be obvious and clear that you spent time with God. Not from a glowing face, but like, Peter and John, when they saw that they were uneducated, common men, it was clear that they had been with Jesus. Is it clear that you have been with Jesus? Uh, the third one, Israel needed Moses to be their mediator, right? Believers do not. We have a mediator that is much greater than Moses, much, much greater, a high priest far greater than Aaron, we have something else that they don't have either. We have access to God. Remember the Israelites, they had a relationship with God, but from a distance. They couldn't, they couldn't enter his holy mountain. They couldn't enter his holy tabernacle. We can go right to God for our struggles. The, the fourth one. Justice and mercy. God is perfectly in control. He perfectly displays both. He is perfectly just. He's perfectly merciful. And for a perfect example of that, look no further than the cross. Man is sinful. Man is separated from God. There's nothing that man can do to make it right. God says, I'll forgive you of your sins if you repent and trust in me. Mercy. But the wages of sin is death. Sin must be punished. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Something has to give. God says, I'll send Jesus to pay for the sin. Justice. God is perfectly merciful. He's perfectly just. Sometimes we think he shows too much grace or maybe he's too harsh. He's not. He's perfectly both. Lastly, um, and then we'll get out of here. I've never gone long before. This is a weird thing for me. I'm usually 10 minutes short. Well, uh, We'll see how it goes. Lastly, on Wednesday nights, uh, the students, we've been going through this video series where uh, these people go around and they, uh, they go on college campuses and ask uh, college students different questions about their views and opinions and things like that. And one episode recently, the question that they asked was this. They went around asking people this, is God for you or is God against you? 
Every single one of them. There's like five of them. They're like, oh, God's for me. 100% God's for me. He's for me. I don't know why he would, I don't know why he wouldn't be. I don't know why he'd be against me. Well, I'll break the news to you just like the people going around broke it to them. It's a pretty big pill to swallow. If you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, you've never repented, you've never trusted Christ, God is not for you. He's not. Bible's very clear. And I'll put it to you like this. If God is against you, it does not matter who is for you. But if you're a believer, if you've repented, if you've trusted Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in him, if you've experienced new life as a believer, God is for you. And I'll put it to you the same way. If God is for you, it does not matter who is against you. So if you're not a believer, never repented, trust Christ, work on the cross as your own. Today's a great day. Do that and God will be for you. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everybody here. Thank you for so many people that just love you want to be at church, want to hear the word be taught, Father. I pray that if there's anybody in here that does not know you, Lord, that is not a believer, they've never repented. Lord, I pray that they would come to the realization that, that, that God is not for them. But if they repent, if they trust you, if they trust what Jesus did on the cross, that they will be saved and that you will be for them and that it will not matter who is against them. Be with us this week as we go out into the world, into the workforce, into the school systems. Help us share the light that we have within us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.